Welcome to the Platform Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy habits. I know how hard that can be because I've struggled and succeeded to varying degrees throughout my life, but I've lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for over a decade now. The key for me was discovering my passion for lifting weights and kettlebell sport. On this podcast, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, experts, and everyday people about kettlebells, fitness programming, nutrition, mindset, making an impact, and generally striving to grow and leave a legacy of positive change. Please join me. All right, welcome into the Platform Podcast. My guest today is Ross Bell. He is the owner of Armor Fitness in Mason, Michigan. He is a competitive kettlebell sport athlete, as well as a Highland Games competitor. Ross, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm very excited to, to talk to you. Uh, how are things in Michigan today? And, and for, for those of you who uh, were recording this on November 4th, which is obviously a, a bit of a, of a fun time to be recording and talking to someone in Michigan. So how are things going there? Uh, things are, are good as far as I can tell. I haven't been outside yet, so I don't know if there's uh, you know civil unrest happening out there or anything <laughs> yet. Uh, so far, things are pretty good. Um, we're still adjusting just like everybody else to the the new state of the world and how things are happening and these crazy times with COVID. But uh, for the most part, things are good. Yeah, good. That's good. How's And how's the family doing? Family's good. Uh, we have a nine-month-old baby that we're trying to learn how to handle that. So that's always fun. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's the that's a fun adventure, man. The the young ones are always are always uh, a little bit of a challenge. And this is your first one, right? Uh, no, we actually have. Uh, I have a nine year old daughter um, from a previous marriage, and uh, Nolan is our first. Um, you know, not to get too deep into it, but our first successful uh, pregnancy that we have been able to have um, with my wife. So we've oh, well, had some... congrat- congratulations, man. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's, it's not, it's not your first time handling a nine month old. So, it, but, uh, it's, no. it's been, it's been a minute. It's it been a hot like. minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's good. Are you getting any sleep or is it, uh, is it still, uh, it's still a challenge. Sleep is getting better. Uh, we went from getting, you know, hour stretches to multiple hour stretches. So that's good. Ah, oh, nice. Um, good for but you. It, it definitely makes training interesting keeping yeah. up with work and, and daily life interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, so let's, uh, tell me a little <laughs> bit about your, your athletic background and how you ended up getting into, uh, into kettlebell sport. Um, first we'll, we'll start with that, but how did you, how, what's your athletic background growing up? <laughs> uh, not, um, <laughs> I was not into sports, uh, not an athletic kid. Uh, I didn't do anything physically active. I was the kid that sat on the, the couch watching excuse me, watching cartoons or playing video games. Um, I played outside regularly, but that, you know, I wasn't athletic. I didn't, I didn't do sports. Uh, and then my see sophomore year of high school, um, I was going to, uh, going to hang out with a friend of mine and he said, well, the only way we can hang out is, um, my mom's going to pick us up, but we got to go to the weight room after school and she's going to pick us up after the weight room. We had open, uh, lifting time after school. 
so I went with him and uh, that first day I got bit by the bug and ever since have been just obsessed with lifting and um, anything and everything fitness related. Uh, and I, that, that kind of started my athletic side, I guess. Um, got involved in football my junior year, um, started wrestling my senior year, uh, and then left and went to college, kind of fell off track like most freshmen did and, you know, gained a whole bunch of weight because food was essentially free and <laughs> beer was a plenty. And um, <laughs> well, food was included. It was included in the cost of tuition. It wasn't. Well, free. we're, we're going to say it was free in my <laughs> mind because <laughs> I ate like it was my job. There you go. Um, and then uh, about, let's see, about eight years ago now, nine years ago now, I um, had had the uh, unfortunate instance of going through a divorce and threw my life off track. And thanks to my wife, kind of got back on track and really started taking fitness seriously. Um, and that's what led me down the path I'm on now, owning a gym and getting, getting in that world. Um, and then I got into kettlebell sport, shoot, uh, 2014. Um, I was just getting into personal training and a good friend of mine that kind of gave me my start uh, suggested I get certified in kettlebells. And I, I was at that time, I didn't know what a kettlebell was. Um, like most people that aren't familiar with our world, uh, it's, it's a cattle ball, you know. <laughs> Um, so I said, well, shoot. All right. Well, what do I do to get certified? And he put me in touch with Ken Blackburn. Um, and I actually had the fortunate instance of doing a one-on-one -on -one certification with Ken. Um, and that kind of started that whole other getting bit by a bug and getting sucked into that world. Um, went through my level one shortly after that, my level two certification through the IKFF. Um, and then he kind of encouraged me to start competing and playing with kettlebell sport a little bit more. Um, and so I did uh, a couple of competitions here and there, um, real minor stuff, wasn't very good at it, but I was starting to kind of get the technique down. Um, and then about 2017, I started taking it seriously. Nice. And that's, that's kind of it, man. That's yeah. And so... And so you, the, the highest rank you've achieved in kettlebell sport is CMS, right? Unfortunately, yes, is CMS. <laughs> I missed Master of Sport by three points um, last year at the IKFF Worlds. Um, and since then have gotten within arm's reach of, of Master of Sport multiple times. But yeah, highest I've reached is CMS. But I've hit CMS in... Um, 32 kilo long cycle, 32 kilo biathlon, um, 24 kilogram marathon, and 32 kilogram half marathon. Okay, okay. Wait a minute. What possessed you to start doing marathon and half marathon? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I did not know. I did not know that. I knew about the. I knew about. I knew about all the other ones. I didn't know you started doing half marathon and marathon sets too. Yeah. So, um, let's see. It was at the, um, kettle mania competition in Chicago at, uh, um, at the Evo fit. Yeah. At, at that, I, I dabbled with the idea of doing a marathon set and I talked to, uh, Shannon Pigden from Australia who was happening to be in the United States for that competition. 
and uh, he said, oh, do a, do a marathon set with me. Just do 24 kilo one, one arm long cycle marathon set with me. I thought, okay, why not? You know, famous I, last I, words. I, yeah, sure. Why not? I, I could do that. That sounds easy. Um, and so it just kind of happened, uh, over a course of a week, I just decided to try it and, um, talked to a couple of the marathon athletes that are from Ken Blackburn's team, got a couple of tips and then just went with my stupidity and, uh, pacing and ended up clenching CMS by a long shot. So, so, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit for, for people that, that aren't super familiar. Cause you know, for as, for as niche as kettlebell sport itself is like yeah. kettlebell sport marathon is even more niche. So, Very wh- so what, what were some of the, uh, what were some of the, the techniques and tips that you got and, uh, that, and how did you, how did it change your approach versus, you know, a traditional, you know, 10 minute set, you know, for biathlon or long cycle? Uh, well, it kind of goes down to even more niche uh, as to whether you're doing a single bell marathon or a double bell marathon, which I've done one of those and I won't probably ever do it again because it was awful. Being um, the single bell or the double bell, you mean? The double bell is terrible. Yeah. Because um, single, you can switch hands as often <laughs> yeah. as you want, as many times, whenever. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, double bell, you're just stuck. There's, there is no, there is no escape. You're locked in the cage with the bells. Um, but the tips I got were to make sure you have somebody to help you with chalking, uh, with water, with a towel, if you need it. Um, because believe it or not, you're lifting for an hour. You're going to sweat a Mm. lot. It's it's weird how that works. You do something (laughs) for an hour nonstop. Especially if you're a sweaty Yeti like me or well, you too. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Um, so having somebody there that can bring you chalk whenever you need it was huge key to it. Um, and then the other side of it was not, and I didn't listen to this very well, but not going max pace for the entirety of the set and, Mm -hmm. and kind of planning ahead to what a comfortable pace is versus what you're actually capable of doing. Um, so my first time out, uh, I started at 14 to 16 reps per minute of one arm long cycle, uh, which is way too fast. That's way too fast for your first time out. Um, and I made it about 30 minutes in and my hands were just destroyed. Yeah. Um, and so did you, did you, did you continue, continue on even after the hands were destroyed and and just had to slow way down or did the, did the hands, did the hands stop you? The fun part of marathon is if you don't finish, you don't, get a score. If you don't finish the full uh, 60 minutes, your score is zero. Really? So I looked I at my, that. yeah, I looked at my judge after I looked down at my hands and realized that all of the pads on my hands were flayed open and bleeding. And this is where it gets gross. And uh, I looked at my judge and said, "Uh Oh, that's not good. And she said, Hey bud, you got to finish or your score is zero at about 42 <laughs> minutes. I said, well, Looks like I'm going to need some more chalk. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I finished the full, the full 60 minutes and ended up with 700 and, or no, what was this? I think like 734 or something like that. Wow. That is insane, but also very impressive. So good on you. Um, <laughs> I t- tell, tell me a little bit about the, the, the mindset there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with that. Uh, I mean, I, when I tear, when I tear a callus, I'm kind of like, ah, that sucks. And, you know, I, you know, I've got maybe 
a minute or two left in my snatch set or my long cycle set, well, <laughs> you know, and I and, can, I can usually gut through that, you know, but <laughs> I, if I've also had a tear stop my set before. So how, how does, you know, tell me a little bit what went, what went through your mind when, <laughs> when you, when you got that news from the judge while on the platform holding the weight after having just flayed your hands and being, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, not, not, not close to the finish line yet. I, I'm going to tell you right now, ego gets into it quite a bit uh, when you hear, if you don't finish, you fail. Not you, if you don't finish, it's okay. It's all right. You might not have gotten the number you could have. You just, you're done. You fail. Um, the ego kind of got into play a little bit. Plus I had uh, Shannon lifting right next to me and he was nowhere near stopping. So I just kind of said, screw it. Let's just keep going. The benefit of being able to change hands um, at will whenever you want helped. Yeah. Um, I pulled back on pacing considerably and, uh, dropped to, I think like eight to 10 reps per minute, um, and switched much, much more frequently. Uh, but yeah, you just, you kind of just suck it up. And that's when that crazy switch that all of us, I think kettlebell athletes have, that's when that crazy switch flips into overdrive and you just kind of forget about it. I, I zone out. Yeah, I think the the whole thing of it being so binary, where it's either you finish or you get zero, is I think that I'm I'm really interested now in my head. I'm like, I wonder if they if they made that change on ten minute sets, mm-hmm. how many people would finish the ten? How many more people would finish the ten? Because with a ten minute set, you get however many reps you get in the ten minutes, and if you stop at minute three, you still get all of those all of those reps. Correct. If you stop at minute seven, they still all count. But I, I wonder how many more people would 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 achieve more and and uh, suffer longer <laughs> if they knew like oh if i stop early it's a zero because then well, it's like well then it's like well fuck i put all this work in like <laughs> you know like right i i wonder about that that's super interesting i did not know that about marathon what, what are your thoughts on that uh and that's actually the exact reason why when i train one of my athletes uh you know they say oh well i can do a five minute set nope five minute sets are off the table you don't have five minutes set. you have a 10 minute set um, and the, the, the reasoning behind that, what I have to explain to them is if you hit five minutes, you have to put the bell down no matter what. So if you hit five minutes and you could have gone 30 seconds more, you could have gotten 30 seconds more worth of reps, but because you chose to do a five minute set, you're done. Like that's yeah. it. Um, so I think that same mentality would kind of kick in that, uh, in an in inverse reaction of saying, well, you have to make it to 10 minutes. If you don't make it to 10 minutes, you don't get any points. And it would, at a minimum, teach people to control their pacing a little bit better. That's what I was just thinking. I think you would see um, people come out a lot slower. Yeah. And, you know, starting the slower, the slower pace, but at the same time, also working that fixation hold a lot more. Um, I know when I transition from uh, just normal stateside comp- uh, competitions to competing at a higher level in an international capacity, fixation is way, way more intricate. They, they look at it substantially more um, demanding as far as your fixation. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. So it let's, let's go through it. Let's go down. through the checklist. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a certified judge. I think you are as well. Um, yep. What, what's the, what's the checklist for, for people that, that aren't familiar? Um, and, and let's from, a, from an international standard, what are people, what are they looking for on a, on a, on a lift? So, uh, the one that got a lot of people that I noticed, um, and I don't train this way and I don't train any of my athletes this way is off the floor. You go right into your first rep. There is no swing to start. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I know a lot of stateside competitions, they let you get away with that once in a while for snatch, um, where you can get a swing in and then do your first rep of snatch. That's the first thing that gets next right off the bat. Yep. Um, Minus one. Come off the floor. <laughs> exactly. You come right off the floor and you go right into your rack or you go right into your overhead. Um, and then from there, they really focus on complete stop and fixation in your rack positioning uh, with as close to knees locked as possible uh, is, and zero movement with the bell, zero movement with the torso uh, before you can go into either your first jerk or your first long cycle jerk. Um, and then with snatch and then your overhead fixation, there is 100% stopped movement. So you get a with, lot of people with knees extended with elbows yep. extended. <laughs> yep. When you get uh, going on snatch, especially you get a lot of people that come up and that bell kind of gets a little torque going around to the backside of the hand. Um, especially when grip starts to go, they won't even count it until the bell is stopped moving. Um, so you notice most lifters in stateside competitions, they'll have a maybe one second or half second pause overhead um, I'm watching high level athletes that I, you know, watch and have admired since I started doing this that are pausing for a full breath or two overhead just to make sure that they get that full rep count. Cause there's yeah. nothing more gut wrenching than you're in the last minute of your set. And you're like, you know, you got nothing left in the tank. You throw that bell up there and come down a little too early and you wasted all that energy for them to say no count. And then you do it again and they're like, set's done. You know. Yeah, it's uh, the mental the mental anguish of a no count. I think is one of the is one of the things that that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, <laughs> it's I've I don't I don't know about you, but I've I've uh, not had no counts in competition, um, but I've seen it happen, and you can just you can just see the defeat on someone's face, and and how much it changes. Uh, mindset sometimes you'll see somebody that was cruising at a nice smooth pace like you know long cycle they're doing a nice steady seven rpms and they get a no count and then they're like shit <laughs> you know oh, they get yeah. it in the middle of their set and they're like shit i gotta get caught up so then they go a little bit faster to try yep. and make up for that rep to try and get it in that minute and then they get their heart rate too high and then they're scrambling and then they end up crashing at like minute eight I've seen, yep. I've seen that happen, you know, just the, like, and I was the judge and I felt bad, but it was like, you, you didn't fit, you didn't fixate. Like, <laughs> it yeah. is, you know, it is what it is. Like you didn't fixate. It's, it's gotta be a no count. And, um, you know, uh, how do how do you, how do you coach your athletes to, to handle that? I mean, aside from obviously coaching them to fixate, but if that happens, um, mentally, how do you, how do you approach it? So usually I take whatever their rep pacing is for that minute. Let's say that's, we'll just use for an example, saying that they're, they're at eight reps a minute and on rep three, they get a no count. Well, they want to make that up. And I say, Nope, you forget it. Now your rep pacing for that minute is six. So I want you to just completely disregard that first rep that you missed and then take what would have been the next rep and recollect yourself. So bring the bells back up into the rack, bring them up into the overhead, whatever your, your lift is and take enough breaths to kind of recenter your CNS, recenter your mind and just forget it happened. And you just drop a rep off that, that map completely. Yeah. Um, and usually, usually if I don't have somebody that's just in that, that zone, um, it's enough to kind of get them back on track. And then what I notice is if they make it to the end of the set, that sprint mode that everybody engages in, they say, I want to get that rep back. And they do. 
Yeah, so that was that was what I was going to say, too, is you can usually make it up on the back end if you yeah. don't get rattled in the set. But if you get rattled in the middle of the set, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, I, I know all too well how that works. Um, uh, I don't know if you've been made aware of the, the incident, quote unquote, that happened to me. Um, I've only had one no count rep in my competition career, and it was devastating and it's well documented all over social media. Um, to where I brought the bells up into uh, the rack, went overhead. This was double kilo, or excuse me, double bell long cycle, 24 kilogram. Uh, at rep number 75, I brought the bells up, went overhead, came down a little bit too fast, too shaky, and I got a no count, and it got in my head, brought the bells up the next time, and my heart rate was through the roof. I was trying to come back, and I ended up actually passing out on the platform. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've so, uh, heard of that happening. I've I've seen it uh, once or twice, but I I did not know that that happened to you. I remember you saying something before about like if you get to a certain beats per minute, that you yeah. just hit you just hit like it's like it's like a kill switch for you. Like if you get to like 189 beats a minute or something like that, and it's just like lights so go out. In 2017, when I started taking uh, sport a little bit more seriously, that's that's when it happened. Um, and my coach Ken. Uh, at the time was just a good friend. He was just kind of advising me from afar, not really helping me with programming or anything. Um, he saw me pass out and I went down and it was a big spectacle. And, you know, like I said, people recorded it and posted it all over social media and it was really embarrassing, but super funny. Uh, looking back now, it's kind of dangerous too. I mean, <laughs> uh, luckily I was safe. Nothing happened. I ended up kind of catching myself on the way down a little bit. Uh, and I was okay. But what we, what we talked about after it was he said, let me help you with programming. Let's figure out why this happened. Uh, and it was really cool to kind of jump into that whole world of heart rate control and looking at where my heart rate is depending on what I'm doing. Uh, and it got to the point where long cycle was my specialty. Uh, I could tell you within probably two to three beats per minute what my heart rate was at at any given moment without a heart rate monitor because we were just that meticulous with keeping track of it. Uh, and if I get to 194 beats per minute, I black out. It's like, like you said, it's a kill switch. It just happens. Wow. How, how, how were you training were, before you got to the point where you like, you, you knew <laughs> what you were mm -hmm. at all the time. How were you training uh, in practice? Did you have your heart rate visible to you on, on a monitor while you were training or on oh, your no. clock while you were training or how? Did, oh, how did no. You I never, I never did any of that. This, I was programming, quote unquote, programming for myself. And like most athletes, uh, I wanted to do insanely hard and aggressive workouts every day. I didn't think, you know, oh, hey, let's take a light day today or let's do uh, something that's not quite as aggressive. You know, I'd mix my pacing up and I'd mix the durations up, but there was no rhyme or reason to it without that knowledge of heart rate control. Uh, and once, once Ken took over my programming and kind of forced those easier days in there, it helped us get a grasp on how hard I can push to know where my heart rate's going to be. Um, well, where, were, where were you seeing the heart rate data? Were you looking at it post hoc or were you looking at it, um, uh, during the session? So like, I'm assuming like, so when you were working with Ken, did he say like, I want you to be in, you know, whatever zone two for, I see what you're saying. X yeah. period of minutes prior to working with Ken, I never used a heart rate monitor at all. 
Um, that was the first thing he had me do is go out and get a heart rate monitor. So I had a chest strap on and then a polar, uh, I used polar beat, I think was the, the, yep. the program I used and had it set right next to my, uh, my platform that I was working on on my phone so that I could see it in real time. What, what my heart rate was actually at. Okay. Um, and was it, he, pre was he prescribing you RPMs or was he prescribing you heart rate zones? Uh, RPMs actually okay. we stuck with RPMs. Um, to kind of get an idea of where it would land. Uh, and what we noticed is my RPMs would slowly, over the year, my RPMs would, would increase and my heart rate would stay the same because I was able to work at a higher capacity. Once we got that, like, okay, once I hit 194, set's done, I, I gotta stop or I'm gonna pass out. Yeah, uh, It gave us a lot of data to work with. Um, but most of it was just kind of looking at um, not maximal work capacity, but increasing that work capacity through a, a uh, reciprocal cycle of, you know, sprint day versus a shorter, um, shorter day. And then the next day would be something like a controlled breathing cycle. So that was the thing that really helped the most. Um, and that's what I prescribed a lot of my athletes now is, you know, three breaths in the rack, three breaths overhead, um, with an extra swing in there. And, you know, it's the goal is to go as slow as physically possible and still maintain that long set duration. So I might do a 10 to 12 minute set three times a month, but it's the, the rep count is so obscenely low that it's, it's almost like I was doing a, a two minute set or a three minute set. Yeah. I, we, we do some, I do a similar, um, it doesn't, it, it sounds like you're still doing the, the traditional movement, um, just at a slow, at a slow pace. We do the slow long cycle or the slow jerk where you'll, you'll hold the different positions, mm -hmm. you know, to build the, to build the static strength. But it sounds like you're doing a long duration set just at a really slow controlled RPM Yeah, uh, as, uh, as part of that. We noticed that the strength is there. I, I, not to, you know, gloat or say anything. I just, the strength is there. Yeah, you're but a big gorilla, the, man. You're a strong dude. <laughs> but the the heart rate and the endurance was the struggle for me. Yeah. So we would do, uh, for example, like an eight-minute set, and he would have me do three to four breaths in the rack and two to three breaths overhead. And I would average two to three reps per minute because I was breathing so slow, trying to get my heart rate to stay low. Mm. Uh, and I would average like three or four reps per minute for eight minutes. But it was just all working on endurance of, of heart rate. That's awesome. I yeah. mean, that's, that's, I love it. And I almost, I almost Pee Wee Herman you when you, when you said, uh, you know, that we had so much data to work with, I, you know, I almost like, you said the word of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big data nerd. I love, uh, you know, I love having data points to data points to work with and the, the heart rate training, the heart rate training component, uh, is something I need to, uh, I know a lot about it from, uh, outside of kettlebell sport and I know mm -hmm. all the energy systems and I just, I just need to take the time and do the diligence of, uh, mapping. And I have the same thing. I have a polar H10 and I have all my heart rate, you know, I just need, I just need to track it so I can start correlating it and see, and see how it, how it relates. The thing that I noticed like last night, <laughs> for example, when I was, uh, stressed out all day, uh, was, my heart rate at one point I was at 95 or 96% of my max heart rate on a, on a snatch set. Mm -hmm. You know, we were doing four minutes times three 
you know the the that old that old trope uh <laughs> right in in set two like i was at 90 i was at 97 percent max heart rate and i was light lightheaded at the end of that set <laughs> you know it took me took me a good two minutes to get back down to zone one which is a slow recovery for me yeah um, uh, but I, I noticed those things when I, when I take the time to look at it, they're like, Oh, stress, <laughs> a lack of sleep, lack of hydration, whatever, like any of those things, you can see the, the slope of the line becomes a lot more severe, but I, I, I need to, I need to systemize it more and look at it, look at it in a more systemic fashion to, to train myself. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes into understanding how those outside forces affect everything, not just your training cycle, but you know, for example, I've got a nine month old baby. So my sleep is sporadic and broken and not restful. Um, and so, yeah, you feel tired, but what you don't account for is all of the movement that you're doing at night. You're, you're not at a resting heart rate the entire time. Your heart rate is elevated through your sleep. So when you get up, you didn't have that baseline, super low heart rate. And it's just, you're living at a much higher zone yeah. all of the time. Do, do you track HRV? No, I, I actually don't wear a heart rate monitor at all anymore, um, which may or may not be a good thing. Um, but we've gotten to the point where uh, timing for me to be able to, to account for all that data doesn't exist. Um, I have a very limited schedule and I have to fit my training programming in in a very short period of time. And I don't always have the time to kind of keep track of that. So it's been yeah, a lot enough. more of a guessing game than anything. We'll say it's an intuitive. Yes. And not a guessing <laughs> game. It's, it's all very linked cycling. Yes. You know, well, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's actually, to me, it kind of reminds me of um, how it goes on the nutrition side, right? Which is you have people track their macros mm-hmm. long enough that you get to a point of comfort with it and it, you, it, it becomes muscle memory. It becomes old hat. Like you're like, Oh, I know that that's half a cup of rice. I've measured right. enough up. I've, I've measured rice enough times, you know, half cups that I know that that's a half cup of rice or whatever. Right. right? You've just done it enough times where it's like, okay, I know, I know what that looks like on, on my plate. And I know what that, you know, and it's kind of that same thing. I think when it comes to uh, training too, is that at a certain point, if you've put in enough years, you've put in enough reps and you, and you did it diligently with a guy, you know, somebody like Ken who has a wealth of knowledge to help, teach you the, the right way to do it right then at a certain point you're like okay i can i can do it intuitively and is it absolutely as effective as if you were tracking everything no but it fits right. your life better right now because you've got a nine-month-old and you own your own business and <laughs> your 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 wife is uh is taking her boards right so like, yeah there's Jeez. you know there's 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 a, a lot uh, a lot of commitments for you so um that's that's fantastic how, how is your training how's your training going with all of those external those externalities well, going on um it's, it's going okay. Uh, I just did the IKFF Worlds uh, virtual meet last two weeks ago, excuse me, two weeks ago, um, and was attempting to break the North American record for 24 kilo biathlon. And it just came out, came out the gate way too aggressive on snatch um, and burned out too quick. So I, I kind of tossed it in the, the trash there. Uh, but now I'm actually going in a completely different direction. You and I have kind of talked about this off off air a little bit. Um, I am training for training. I did my first day of prep yesterday, training for a 12 hour ultra kettlebell marathon. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. Why? Uh, Why would you do that, crazy man? I get that a lot. Um, (laughs) Every year I do a charity kettlebell competition uh, and I pick a different charity every year and we try to do a uh, just a a fun competition um, to raise money for whatever the cause is. And usually it's always an in-person competition. We have a great turnout. We raise a lot of money, help somebody out. Uh, this year, obviously, with COVID, we can't do an in-person competition because um, usually I would average somewhere between 40 and 60 lifters at each of these. It's just there's no place that I can do that safely right now, um, nor do I want to be responsible for that many people at a time in one spot. Yeah. Um, so we went the virtual route. Uh, and, and we're doing a virtual competition this year, which is super cool. But to me, it wasn't enough to really drive people to, you know, open their wallets during this tough time and help an organization out. So um, I got this stupid idea watching a video of Andreas Jacobson doing a 12 hour ultra marathon. And I thought <laughs> I could do that. Right. Yeah. That sounds great. Let's do that. So I got this stupid idea to do a 12 hour uh, tandem ultra marathon for charity. So I had one of my, uh, one of my good friends is going to jump in with me and we're going to basically trade off for 12 hours. So that at any given point, the bell doesn't touch the floor. That's Uh, awesome. For 12 hours, one of us will always be lifting. Um, and it kind of got a little traction, uh, and a friend of mine that happens to be very well connected in the Jackson, Michigan area said, this is a cool idea. You should come do it live at the restaurant. And he, uh, he manages the kitchen at Grand River Brewery in Jackson, Michigan. So on November 21st, we are going to do a 12 hour ultra marathon live at Grand River Brewery. Fantastic. And are you going to be streaming it on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram? Any of the, the socials? The goal is to stream it live on the Facebook, uh, through my Facebook, um, business page. Um, as long as I can get the tech to work, I'm probably the least tech literate person in the world. So hopefully there'll be somebody there that can get it set up for me, but we're going to try. Nerds of Michigan unite. Exactly. I have a friend in need. <laughs> they have uh, they have a marketing and a social media coordinator that will be there. So hopefully between the two of them, they can get it figured out. Nice. Nice. And, uh, and, and people can, can join in as well, right? You're, you're raising, you're raising money through, uh, you know, people want, if they want to join in, they can do it wherever they're at. Right. Yep. So the, uh, the, the competition side of it will go from the 15th to the 22nd, um, all standard ear voice sport, uh, competition rules and, uh, competition sets are allowed. So five minute, 10 minute jerk, long cycle, one arm, long cycle, all of them are allowed. Um, and I have gotten enough certified coaches to be able to, uh, allow rank up to CMS in most organiz or most federations. Um, and then we're also doing marathon sets. Um, cause I have a couple of marathon judges that are willing to help out with judging sets, um, at, at any of the traditional marathon levels, 30 minute, 60 minute hour, or excuse me, two hour, so on and so forth. Uh, but the cool one I'm also doing is team lifting since I am doing a team 12 hour marathon. I thought it'd be cool to tell people, Hey, if you want to get two or three of your friends together and just trade off intermittently through that set, you can do a a team set as well. Um, all of that is available on my Facebook page, which, uh, is armor fitness LLC, uh, on Facebook. And, um, 
yeah, you can sign up and register for that. 100% of all funds raised goes directly to the Jackson Foster Closet, which is an organization that helps um, foster kids and underprivileged kids um, all year round, but more specifically right now with uh, having a holiday season, because, you know, with everything happening with COVID, a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people don't have the money to actually have uh, a Christmas. So they partnered with the Angel Tree uh, and they're doing um, gifts for kids that aren't gonna have a Christmas, uh, holiday meals for families that can't afford to do so. Um, and then the other side of it, um, foster kids that maybe don't have a home, uh, so they won't have coats, blankets, uh, warm weather clothing, um, food and supplies. Uh, they, they help provide all of that. Awesome. That sounds, that's a great, that's a great cause. And I love that you're doing it locally too. That's, you know, in your, in your community, that's, that's fantastic. So that is, that is awesome. I'll make sure we put the, I'll make sure we put the info in the, in the show notes. So, so people, cool. if, if you want to follow, if you want to follow along, participate, you want to sign up for the competition or you want to do the, the tandem or the team lift um, you can, you can do any, or if you just want to make a, a donation to the charity, um, yeah. we'll, we'll make sure all those things are available in the show notes. That's, that's awesome, man. So I want to I want to pivot a, a little bit because you're the only person uh, I know of that does Highland games. Um, so tell 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 me a what that is. I know what that is, but you know, uh, tell the sure. people, uh, you know, all twelve of them that listen to the show, uh, <laughs> what 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 that. Well, it's more than that now, but uh, uh, tell them tell them yeah, what 13. that is. Yeah, you know. Well, I got I got my dad I, to start I'm listening kidding. in addition there, to my. There mom. it is. There yeah. it is. <laughs> um, so the Highland Games is kind of a, a Scottish-based competition. Uh, if you've ever seen the crazy dudes that wear the, the kilts and pick up the giant trees and throw them, that's... Austin the Cabers. Austin the Caber. That's what it is. Um, so it's usually a traditional competition is 10 events, uh, and everybody participates in all 10. Um, it's all weight objects, so throwing various weighted objects. Um very similar and akin to uh, like track and field, shot put, hammer throw, um, similar ideology to that, but the weights are substantially heavier and the distances are far shorter. <laughs> and they're much more uh, awkward too. I mean, how long is a caber, uh, a traditional uh, caber? Generally about, uh, men's are about 12 to 16 feet, depending on what the, the caber's made out of, the, the thickness of it. Um, and they'll weigh anywhere from 115 to 160 pounds. It just depends. Um, the high level guys will throw the big, the big monsters. Um, and then the newbies will throw a lot of the, the smaller, lighter cavers. Um, but that one's a little different. It's not about distance. It's more about, um, I guess you'd call it accuracy. Yeah. Rotation, um, so right? You got to get the, you got to get the flip. That's the first step is once you can turn a caber end over end, you can start to score. And then it's based off of your path of travel versus how the caber lands according to that on like a clock dial. Huh. So if you are walking a straight line, you turn the caber completely end over end and it lands directly straight in front of you. That's a, a 12 turn, which is the best you can get. Um, if it lands left or right of that, they'll go based on that, you know, 10 o'clock, 10 30, 11 o'clock so on and so forth. Nice. Well, what are some of, what are some of the other events? I know the, you mentioned the, um, the akin to the shop, but basically tossing a rock, right? What are, what are yep. some of the other ones? So those are uh, the stones. There's an open stone, which is a light 
lighter stone that you have a little bit more movement and you throw. And then there's what's called the Braemar stone, which is a much bigger, heavier stone that's a stationary throw. Um, uh, the weights for those for men's is uh, the, the little guy is 12 to 16 pounds, I think. And then the Braemar is like 22 to 26 pounds. Uh, and then there's the weight for distance. You have a lightweight and a heavyweight, which is basically a steel mass on a small chain with a handle um, that you throw out of, uh, out of the box that you throw from. And uh, let's see, then there's the hammer throw, which is similar to a hammer throw for track and field, but instead of a rotational base, you stay stationary, your feet are planted in the floor um, and you have a steel ball on a stick that you spin around and you throw over your shoulder. Uh, and then weight uh, over bar, which is the same mass that you throw for weight for distance, but instead now you're throwing it for a height over a bar overhead. Uh, and then the fun one is the sheaf throw, which is a bale of hay that you throw with a pitchfork. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so the, this uh, kind of begs the question, we're, we're not in Scotland. No. How the fuck did you get into this? <laughs> uh, so a good friend of mine that I met actually through Kettlebell Sport, who no longer competes, um, is one of the master's guys in Michigan. And believe it or not, Michigan has a huge following for Highlands, for Highland sports. Um, there's it seems 13, like a very Michigan thing to me. Uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that's on brand. There's 13 current scheduled competitions in the Michigan area, um, which is really a lot. That's that's a lot for a season. Uh, anyway, he he suggested I try it out. He's like, oh yeah, you'll be great at this. You should try it. Uh, I was not great at it by the way um and i'm still not great at it but it is a lot of fun and the community is second to none it's very similar to the kettlebell community you know that everybody knows everybody and they're all kind of close friends um so i, I went out to his place and and just played with some of the implements and threw a couple of things and i kind of said you know this is super fun let's give it a shot so i went out and bought a kilt uh because you have to wear a kilt to compete um and did my first competition three years ago now, two years ago, something like that. Yeah, three years ago. Nice. Yeah. And uh, and so you said you're you're you said you're not good at it. I'm I'm putting. I'm not great. That. No, I'm not great. <laughs> what uh, what uh, is the? I mean, how do you win? I guess is the. Do you so, is it the person that wins the most events, or do you win individual events, or like? Uh, a little bit of both. So there's uh, classes, much like um, uh, a lot of Olympic level lifting and throwing stuff. Uh, you have an A class, B class, C class, and then a novice. Your first time ever on the pitch, you're in a novice class. Um, C class is usually right where I sit, even though I throw at a B class level because I don't care. I just want to have fun. Um, and your, your class determines kind of who you're, you're matched up against. Um, and then you, you all throw all 10 events and then whoever wins each event, you know, the top three of each event, get a certain number of points and whoever has the highest points at the end of the meet is the winner. Um, there's okay. the first, second, third for each class. So everybody kind of has their strong suits and, and everybody sort of has their one event that they detest and are terrible at. And, uh, 
that's you just kind of play your favorites. But which you have one, to throw all Which one is that for you? Uh, I hate the sheaf. I am terrible at throwing that stupid <laughs> bale of hay. I'm awful at it. That's that that one seems out of place, but uh, I mean, yeah, I guess and it's not for distance. You throw it for height. So the goal okay. is to throw this bale of hay, which weighs uh, men's is usually right right around twenty pounds. Um, you throw it as high as physically possible. And currently, like the the top that you see the A class throwing is like twenty eight to thirty feet. I. I feel like all of these things had to come about in a drunken stupor. I just, I just well, feel it. Scotland. That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not going to say that there's not alcohol present at the Highland games, but <laughs> there definitely is. Yeah. Is it, is it, is it afterwards or, or during? <laughs> Cause some of these things, uh, you, would, you would need to that. get a few, you would need to get a few in me before I would think that I'm going to try it. Like, eh, sure. If I can, I'll try <laughs> We're going to not comment on that for legality purposes. <laughs> and do you, and this is a legitimate question. Do you have to do it in a kilt or do some yes. competitors do it? Not in a kilt. You have to do it in a kilt. You're not even allowed on the pitch without a kilt on. Oh, that's, I, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So everybody that competes, everybody that judges all have kilts on, but the only person that doesn't, I think is a photographer. <laughs> and usually they do too, but they don't, I don't think have to. That, that's i mean that honestly that sounds super cool <laughs> that's one it's of those a lot things of fun i i hear about it and i'm like ah oh, that sounds like something i would like <laughs> it's a lot of fun but i'm i'm crazy like you are too um i don't think that a, a marathon sounds fun i don't think a 12-hour marathon sounds fun but uh you know some of the other things i'm like oh, yeah that sounds that sounds pretty fun so <laughs> it's it's definitely a good time so you know, we've only got a few minutes left. I want to give you, I want sure. to give you a couple, a couple final questions. Um, what would be, what would be your, your top tip for uh, a new kettlebell lifter? We'll say first and foremost, like what would be the, what would be the things that you wish somebody had told you when you were first starting? Oh God, I love this question. Um, put your ego aside, get rid of the idea that, that even if you're a big guy, you have to lift big weights. Um, I made the mistake of probably starting too heavy. And that's what led to the, the quote unquote incident of 2017 where I passed out. Mm. Um, so keep your ego in check and lift the light weights until your form is 100% where it needs to be. Um, don't worry about uh, hitting a certain number, hitting a certain goal. Worry about making every rep as good as possible. And those numbers will, will come quick. Um, that's the, the probably the biggest thing that I would say for most people, they, they try to go too heavy, too quick, especially men. Um, women like, like making sure. Yeah. You know that I'm right too. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't make that. But okay. I can't even say yeah. that with a straight face. Um, that's probably the number one thing is just to stay light until your form is, is on point. Um, and I think Americans especially have this problem where they try to go too heavy too quick and they burn out or they, they aren't able to stay at a competitive level, which is why you don't see a lot of American um, men working at the, the pro level internationally. It's just, there's not a lot of us. Mm. Well, uh, yeah. And I, they, I think a lot of us start a lot of, later than, than yeah, some of the international that's lifters. True. That's a hundred percent true. Um, I shoot. I didn't even find out about kettlebell sport until I was almost 30. 
but that I think I think you're one hundred percent right there. That that is uh, that is that is definitely definitely something I notice as well. What were you saying? You said you were saying some the difference with with women though that you see. Um, women are are much more okay with staying light longer. Um, at least I've noticed in my coaching experience. Uh, they're real hesitant to move up to a heavier weight until they feel like they've completely mastered that lighter weight, Mm. Um, which can sometimes be a little bit of a a struggle when you've got an athlete, you know, I've got, I've got a couple of them that should be at a higher weight than they are, but they, they, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Um, When they, they perfectly capable of it. So you throw it into a training set and just say, all right, I want you to work on this, this bell weight for today. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. And all of a sudden they've done a five minute set at, you know, a reasonably competitive rate reps per minute. And, oh, I guess I can do that. Yeah, you can. So maybe we should bump up. <laughs> yes, that is, that is always the, the, the joys of coaching, you know, when you have the, the managing the various personalities and, and how do you, how do you, uh, either push or push people forward or pull people back, depending on the na- the nature the nature of their of their personality. Yeah, that's always, that's always a fun that's always a fun challenge. Well, how about for you personally? Um, uh, once you're done with the 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 marathon and the twelve hour marathon, are yep. you going to continue doing marathon sets? Or are you gonna Are you gonna go after? Or are you gonna go back to pursuit of master of sport? Or uh, you know, or do you have a do you have a goal that you're that you're focusing on next after you, after your charity event? So uh, I kind of go back and forth on this. Uh, a lot of it's going to depend on what the state of competition is going to be for 2021, to be honest. Yep. Um, I hate virtual competitions. I think it's just not conducive to, to, to hitting the numbers I want to hit. I feed off the energy of the other competitors in the crowd. Um, but uh, marathon stuff other than this 12 hour one marathon stuff for me is just is kind of a play thing i just do it because it's different and it's kind of fun um i know it sounds like it's not fun but it's different so it makes it kind of fun um but yeah Absolutely. i'm always always chasing that that master of sport and i think i probably will be for a long time um 2020 we've we pulled back considerably on my uh my goals for hitting master of sport um i was getting burned out because of, of working under the 32s for as long as I did. Um, I was only on 24 kilo from 2017 to 2019. And then from 2019 to 20, uh, to now, or excuse me, 2018. From 2018 till now, I've been on 32s. Um, and it just burned me out. Um, mm. Kind of goes back to what I was saying that, you know, get your form yeah. correct to get everything correct before you bump weight. You didn't decide to do a, a dance on the 28s. You just went straight from the 24s um, to the 32s. I competed once on the 28s. It hit CMS, and then that was it. Um, I did uh, a 10-minute long cycle set at uh, the Midwest Kettlebell uh, Championships in Jackson, Michigan. Um, hit CMS and said, you know, my coach, I said, so what's next? He goes, well, you ready to jump to 32? Okie dokie. <laughs> Um, you know, I've been playing on them for a while anyways, just for training purposes and, uh, decided screw it. Let's just go for this. Um, did the 32 kilo long cycle as my main event. And then when I went to Ireland to compete, um, literally on the last minute, I said, screw it. I'm going to be over in Ireland. I'm going to be doing this competition. I'm, 
I'm going to do as much as possible and signed up for 32 kilo biathlon, having never done biathlon before. What could go what, wrong? What a, what a stage to, to jump onto that. Right. <laughs> I love it though. And I, I think part of it, I can understand the, the jump to 32s because you can't get any higher than CMS on the 28s. Right. You can't you can't achieve master of sport unless you're on the 32s, at least in our weight class. Um, I don't know Correct. if that's true for all weight classes, but um, well, not that you're. Are you, are you what? Are you in the heavy? Are you in the heavyweight? Oh, or are you you're light buddy, heavy, right? I'm way heavy. Okay, <laughs> we're we're way past heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the 105, last... the 105 plus, uh, competing with, you know, Ivan Denisov for best in the world or even Markov. Uh, yeah, we're right there. Uh, yep. <laughs> Denisov yep. just posted a video doing double 50 kilo jerks. Good for, good for him. Yeah. I mean, good for him. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're, if you're a cyborg, him. you can do that. <laughs> I have competed next to him a couple times now, and I can definitely say it is, not we're not on the, it actually had the conversation with him when i walked off the platform in ireland i said hey man you got me but i'm coming for you he's like no we're on two different levels there's there is no and he's 100 percent correct he's been doing this so long and so passionately for so long that it's he's on a different level yeah he really is, should be like there's a whole other like yeah. There's pro and then there's like super pro. Like, yeah, he, he, like I, I don't even. <laughs> like he's he's a whole like him and you know some of the some of the great Russian lifters. I'm just like yep. you know like like Denis Vasilev too in the in the lighter in the lighter categories. I'm just like he mm-hmm. he's so far ahead of everybody else. Like everybody else. Like if he shows up for a competition, you're just like, all right, who's competing for second today? Because and that's that's right. But the, <laughs> the crazy thing is he's such a humble guy. I don't know if you've ever talked to Dennis, such a humble guy. Dennis Vasilev. Yes. Oh yeah. He was my coach for, uh, for okay. almost a year. Yeah. 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 He's one fantastic. of the like just nicest human beings I've met in this sport. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's great. He's a, he's a great, great, great dude. Oh yeah. I love Dennis. He's fantastic. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it ended up working out. Okay. We went to, uh, Went to Ireland and I actually placed better in biathlon than I did in long cycle. Oddly enough, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if you if you decide that you're going to go after it in 2021, I could see you hitting master sport in 2021. But I can also understand. Uh, I'm like you. the The online competitions are a bit of a struggle. It's yeah. it's hard to because you're even though at a competition you're on the platform alone. You, you know how much different is that than being in your garage on a platform alone? Well, it's quite a bit different because there's no energy in the room. It's just, you know, you filming, it, it feels a lot like a training set and it's just hard to, yes. to have that same, uh, to bring that same energy to the platform. So, but, uh, you're also, yeah. you know, a mentally tough dude who can, you know, finish a marathon set with a flayed open hand without, uh, <laughs> stopping. So, you know, if you decide you want to do it, I think you could do it, but I, I understand the, <laughs> the, the challenge there to get up. So, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I know you've, I know you've got a tight schedule, so I want to be, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, how do people follow you? Are you on Instagram? I know you're on Facebook at Armor Fitness LLC. Are you also on, on Instagram or YouTube or any of the other socials? How do people follow you? How do they hire you? Uh, all of those things. Uh, Instagram, Armor Fitness Kettlebell, um, all one word. Uh, and then uh, I have a YouTube channel, but it's basically just for posting training videos for my clients. Um, everything else is done through Facebook or uh, Instagram. Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, Ross, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate it. And we'll make sure that we put the, we make sure I'll make sure that we put the, the links into for in the show notes for people to uh, donate uh, to the, it was the, the Jack, the Jackson Foster Foster family closet. Was that right? Jackson Foster closet. Foster closet. Okay. Yep. So we'll make sure that people can, can donate or sign up to, to be part of the, uh, be part of the event at which all of the proceeds are going to that charity. So thank you for doing that. That's, that's super awesome. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I hope, uh, I hope it goes well, man. Good luck on your, on your 12 hour, uh, your 12 hour adventure. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. Should be a good thanks. Time. Thanks so much, Ross. Have a good one. Take it easy. Thanks, Jordan. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi Wright. If you have a question, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub, on Twitter at TCKBClub, online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com, and please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.